Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Uh, it's good to, uh, to be back together. Uh, if you have a Bible, go on and open up to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we'll be. Hey, but I just wanted to give you a shout out to some of our men in our church. Man, we had a, we had a good turnout yesterday for our men's work day. Uh, got done a lot of projects around the church, been needing to get done for a while. And uh, going to be some more continuing on, ongoing things that we'll do. But, man, so thankful for the guys that came out um, and uh, for, for Brandon Wilson, who fed us all uh, Jack's biscuits and brought drinks and stuff. So uh, it was a fun day yesterday just to be uh, here together in, uh, at God's house and working together. But um, we're, today, we're only going to take a few verses uh, to study today. We're going to study four verses. First John 5, 10 through 13 is where we're going to be. Listen. Uh, if you've been reading through First John as we've been studying, there's a ton of stuff that we didn't get into, okay? Uh, we took five weeks to go through a pretty short letter, but we could have taken 20, 50. I don't know. We could have taken a lot and gone word by word, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. We could have done any of that. But again, uh, our point behind this was not to see every single thing that was going on, uh, the intention behind every verse, every single word. Uh, but our our purpose was to give you a framework for John's argument. Oftentimes when we study God's word, we get down deep and into the weeds, and oftentimes we can get lost there, and we learn good things, but we miss the whole point that's going on. So what we've tried to do is provide you five key themes through this study that are providing the framework for what John's saying, okay? And so as we've moved through four of those already, now we get to the fifth and final one that John introduces, this final theme as we wrap up the study, and that theme is life. What does it mean to have life uh, in, in Christ? And, and we're going to talk about that today. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of fun. And it's this life um, that, that changes. It's going to be a challenging message today, but also an encouraging one. And so um, I'm going to read First John 5, 10 through 13. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and start kind of breaking it down and working through it, okay? Uh, the Word of the Lord says this. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you, uh, God, for the truths of these uh, that we're gonna, we've been studying over the last few weeks, God, and the truth we're going to study today. God, open our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our, uh, our, our understanding, God, to, uh, to grasp what, what you're saying through John in this letter. And God, I pray that... Um, that we would leave here changed. God, teach us to know you today and be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So uh, we're going we're gonna to walk through this. Uh, I've got kind of four things that I think John is showing there, four things that are uh, just really about this life in Christ. And this is the first one. We're just going to jump right in. Point number one is this. This life is eternal. The life that, that, that John is describing here is eternal. Uh, says it in verse 11, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, right? 
Now, there is nothing tricky about the word eternal. Sometimes I tell you, well, you know, in the Greek, and I try to sound real nerdy and smart, okay? This is not one of those moments. The word eternal means the same thing in every language that I know of, okay? It means never-ending, means all the time, always, without end, everlasting. That's what it means. God has given us this life that never ends. And as you read through the New Testament story, Um, As you read through it, it certainly seems, what's interesting is that some of these first century believers really thought that they were not, that Jesus was going to come back before they died, right? Like as you read through when Jesus said, I'm going to come back for y'all, they took it to mean like soon, like, hey, hang out a few years in the presence of God. He's coming right back. And so definitely they would have had this idea when, when God has given us eternal life, there probably would have been this idea of that, that God was not going to allow them to taste physical death until Christ returned. But what we know is that that didn't happen because it's been 2,000 years now and they're all dead, all those who followed Jesus like physically as disciples, right? They're all, they're all dead now. And, and so we know that and and we're still doing funerals left and right for people who we know who are believers. So what's the deal? If, if, this life isn't, if this life isn't a physical eternal life, what is it? And can we even really call it eternal? Uh, Jesus had this conversation in John chapter 11 with one of his best friends, Martha. If you're familiar, man, with that family, such a cool group that we find out about Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, who God actually, I mean, Jesus actually raised, through the, uh, raised from the dead. Really crazy story. But these were dear friends of Jesus, and Martha has a conversation with Jesus. Um, and this is what he told her in John eleven twenty five: I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. So what's Jesus saying, man, that the life that I'm talking about, the life that I'm, I'm telling you about, this eternal life is not necessarily tied to physical death, right? Jesus is helping his followers, he's helping Martha and anybody who's listening at this point, help them understand that this, this new life here, J- Jesus says, if you believe in me, it's not that you're going to somehow skirt an earthly death, This eternal life is not stopped even by death. You see that in the text. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And so Jesus seems to be pointing this eternal life towards something beyond what we experience here. Right? He starts pointing this eternal life to something beyond our earthly life, which leads many people, including me when I was a kid, my understanding of this was that was that eternal life was something we got to experience after our death. Right? That our spiritual life of enjoyment in heaven was our eternal life. This was the view I had in my mind. But that eternal life was something that had been promised to me as a believer, but I wouldn't get to experience it until I died on the earth. It was something that awaited me, right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but that's a pretty common understanding of the idea of eternal life, that that's something that... I die, boom, I get, okay? But I want to I wanna kind of, let's go back, 1 John 5, is that what the Bible teaches? Verse 11, we've already read it, God has given us eternal life. Like, the, etern- the life has already been given, right? It's not something that God's holding, and then when we die, boom, he gives it. Like, he's already given this to us. John writes to living, John wasn't writing to 
to, to dead people. He was writing to living followers of Jesus that their eternal life had already been given. So eternal life can't just be speaking about some afterlife experience that we have. It, it has to be dealing with our earthly life as well. In a very real way, we get to experience eternal life now. And so the question that I then ask as I'm processing through this, well, what does that look like? Because I know what an eternal life in heaven, I think, looks like. It's me hanging out with God who created everything, worshiping him. And, but like, what, what, is this, what does this look like for now? Well, I think Jesus, uh, through his teaching, helps us understand. John 10.10, 10, Jesus had spoken of a different life here on earth for his followers. He said this, uh, speaking of the evil one, a thief comes to t- steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Right, so Jesus doesn't use the word eternal here, okay? But he, does, he uses the word abundant. And man, that, that word's only used six times in the entire New Testament. And in my Bible, this is not my Bible, this is my Bible. And the translation I like, every single time they, trans, they use a different word for it, which is fun <laughs> when you're reading it. Like, and so what that means is that there's not even a good word for it in our language. Like when you see that, when you're studying the, the, the words in the Bible and you see that six times, only six times in the Bible and every single time it's used, it gets translated into English a different way. That means it's a big word and it's hard to explain it. But when you look at all the words, what it means, it means extraordinary. It means completely. It means superfluous. It means over the top. It means... Nuts is the Heath translation of the word, right? Like that they may have life and they may have it in abundance, that they may have it extraordinary life and a superfluous life, a life that is simply over the top. It's nuts. You see how this connects with our thoughts about eternal life. If our eternal life begins now and here on this earth, it seems that maybe this is what he's talking about. This is what it means. We need to have an abundant life. And Paul would say something similar in one of his letters. Paul was a a church planner who came um, uh, after Jesus and planted a lot of churches, did a lot of cool things as a missionary. But this is what he wrote to one of the churches he was writing to, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is a salvation conversation, if anyone is a Christian, follower of Jesus, he is a new creation. He's been made new. Paul says, we are new creatures living a whole new life. And so let's put those things together. Let's recognize that the eternal life that we're called to live here is one that's abundant and it's to be brand new. Now, if that's what eternal life looks like, let me ask a question. Why do so many believers live lives that are not unique, that are not special, that are not new, that are not abundant? Their demeanor, their outlook, the way they engage the world, none of it looks like this eternal life that we see described in the Bible. And when we live just like everyone else, listen to me, Who in their right, ever-loving mind would want to follow it? Right? Like, who who in the world? Please, tell me more about your dead religion. 
please. Tell me more about your rules. Tell me more about the thing that happened. Tell me more about this Savior who died on the cross for you not to change you a bit. Tell me more about that. That's what I need more of. Yes. I've been looking for more rules in my life. Right? Like, tell me, I'm dying to know more about your powerless Savior. This, this, is, this is it. This is a problem. So living the eternal life here and now is not just important to our own faith and to, to, to our own, uh, just uh, the, the way that we impact the world, the kingdom of God being impacted through us, but it's also important for the future faith of those around us. The eternal life that we get to live here on earth is one of the most attractive things to those who are far from God. And Man, that's my fear. Is that like when I die, people will go, I mean, he was a nice guy. And he was really devoted to church. That's about it. Like I want people to tell crazy stories about me. I want people to tell stories that, man, there was something about that guy that was just, that was different. He, he had something that, like, I just wanted for myself. Like, I wanted to be around him because there was something unique. There was something special about him. Don't you want that said at your funeral? I know it's dim and dark to think about your funeral. But as pastors, we have to do a lot of them, so we think about it a lot, right? That's what I want to be said. I, I, don't, I want this life that I live on this earth not to just be an earthly one, but to be an eternal one. Man, we've got to begin to live this life. There's more to be said about what this life is and, and, and kind of how we get it. So let, let's start moving there. First John 5, 11. Go back to it. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. You see, a big part of understanding this eternal life is knowing where it comes from. Knowing where it comes from. Um, y'all got a family member that gives terrible gifts? Don't raise your hands. You know what I'm talking about? Just terrible ones. Some of y'all, oh, we have a hand. Okay, Miss Rebecca. Are, are you that family member? Or No, okay. Okay, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. We're live streaming. She's just testifying. She's just testifying. All right. So here, here's the thing. Man, we, we probably have experienced that, right? And when you open that gift, you don't have to look at the tag, do you? <laughs> I know who that sucker's from, right? Like, I know who gave me the socks. I know, that, I know where that came from. Like, and that's what we do. So it's important, to know, it's important for us to recognize where this gift comes from because it teaches us so much about the gift itself. This is the second thing. This life is a gift from God. This eternal life is a gift from God. John says in 1 John 5, 11, God has given us eternal life. That's important in a few ways. First off, it's this. God is the only one who could give such a crazy gift. God is the only one who could give such a gift. Doctors can't give us this. Working out can't give us this. Eating right can't give us this. Happiness and good friends and just being surrounded by family can't give us eternal life. Eternal life is only something God can give us. And he can give it to us. Why? Because he is an eternal God. Like eternity is his to give. He is the creator of all things in our universe, including time itself. Time X didn't create it. That's literally the only watchmaker I can think of in the moment. Whatever. Okay, all right. You're not going to help me either. Good. Thank you for your help. 
Seiko, there we go. All right, we've got two. Let's go. But God, this, this, this time, time is God. He, he came up with this, and it's his to give. He's the only being in the entire universe who could gift us such a crazy gift as eternal life. Now, the second reason it's important to understand where this gift comes from is that this life, this eternal life, is fulfilling a deep longing that God himself placed within humanity. Um, usually when I mention King Solomon in a message, it's not a good thing. <laughs> because he, he had a lot of money and he had a lot of women. And usually that's the direction when we talk about King Solomon. Anyway, that's a whole other message. But I want to show you King Solomon, something good he did. He was the son of David and he was king and he did pursue a lot of wrong things, but he was also very wise in some ways, and he wrote several things that are contained in the Old Testament of our Bible. One of the things he is believed to have written is the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, this is an incredibly sad look at the frailty and meaninglessness of obtaining wealth and stuff in this world, and nobody could write it like Solomon. But chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon writes this. God is, it's talking about God. I know we don't have the context, but he here is God. God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work of God, the work God has done from beginning to end. There's some who debate exactly what this means, but it seems like God has placed within humanity an assuredness that what we see in front of us Ain't all there is. Within man is the question, is there not more to this? As Patrick talked about, some of the stuff that's gone on this week, police shooting, or shooting of police officers and the shooting in Nashville and, and all this, like as we look around and we see all this stuff going on, like the question I always have is, God, this can't be all there is. Please, God, tell me this is not all there is. And, and that's not even just the Spirit of God. I mean, there are lost people that don't yet know Jesus that are asking that same question, that are being faced. Humans desire to understand the world in a deeper way than what we see. Begin to ask questions. Is there more out there? Is there something more to this life? That's why some people come to God. I've been at funerals, right? I've been at funerals. Somebody just lost a loved one. And it's in that moment where they begin to think like, man, this can't be it, right? This, this life we're living right now, this can't be all there is to the world. Some other people that are like Solomon, they have all the riches in the world. They've got a great job. The bank account looks good, yet their life is a wreck. In the midst of that, they begin to ask the question, is this all there is? Is this everything that we see before our eyes? Is this what the world is? And some people are driven to God and some people are actually asked the right questions, but they come to the wrong conclusions and they wind up following false gods. It's why false gods exist in other religions. They're asking the right questions, but they're finding the wrong answers. And I've seen this in so many people, and I know you have. And this is where Solomon found himself. He had all the riches and all the women and all the stuff that anyone would ever want. Yet he seems depressed. If you read Ecclesiastes, you're like, man, what a bummer. But it wasn't that. It was that Solomon realized none of that stuff mattered and there was a greater way to live life. And he realized that eternity was in his heart. That God had placed within man 
the question of is this all there is? And so eternal life then comes as the answer to that. No, it's not. Not only is everything you see, not only is there something after your death, there's a life that I want you to live now that you can't see. And I've placed a desire for it in your heart. Eternal life is very much a living of life in the right way, focusing on the right things, enjoying life even in the midst of pain and difficulty. Only someone can, can sit in, can, in the midst of, of, of chemo treatment say, God, thank you for cancer. Right? Like I've heard that from believers. Because in that moment they realize what I'm seeing before my eyes is not all there is. Praise God for eternal life. Right? Like, and this is, the, this, is, this is what God has done. He has gifted this to us. Eternal life is seeing the world through God's eyes. It's, it comes from God, and its purpose is to draw us to God. There's at least one more truth wrapped up in this idea of, of God gifting us this, and that's that he gifted it to us. <laughs> it's a gift. Like, there's no earning of a gift, one of the strangest, weirdest things we do, I don't know if this is a cross-cultural thing like around the world, but we celebrate birthdays, right? Have you ever thought about how weird that is? Congratulations, you were born. Like, and then the people, you expect people to give you gifts on your birthday. You expect to be like carried out to dinner. Like you do these, but, but you didn't do anything. Like my kids, they're seven and nine now. So what that means is, is that, what, seven and nine, 16 times we've celebrated a birthday in our house. You know who deserves the gifts on their birthdays? Mama. And then daddy deserves just a little bit because we've had to help. But mom pulled the weight of bringing them into the world, right? Mom deserved the gifts. The kids don't deserve anything. Right? Because I don't, and some of y'all do this. I got some weird looks in the first service, so I feel like some of you do this. But, like, I don't give my kids on their birthday, I don't assess how their year has been and then base their birthday gift on how their year has been. You know what? Elsie Jones had a rough year. She's not got good grades. She's not been this. You know what? She gets um, just, uh, I don't know, a picture that I drew. You know, like, that's about the worst gift you can get. Uh, so like that's, I don't do that. We don't do that. Why? Because if I give my child something based on their performance, that's no longer a gift church. That is a reward. And that is a stark difference that we need to understand. And so when, when John says that eternal life is a gift from God, what that means is, is that it is simply given. It is not earned. It means that you can't do enough good things in God's eyes to receive this. You can't be nice enough. You can't worship God enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't send the pastor enough gift cards in the mail to earn your way to salvation and to eternal life. You can try, and he would appreciate it. But you can't because God gives it. But it's not random chance. God doesn't have a big eternal life wheel where he spins it and goes, Michelle Coker is the winner today. She receives eternal life. It's not how it works. So let's go back to the first John passage because if this eternal life is such a really cool thing and it answers a deep question for us and God gives it, I want to know how to receive it. <laughs> 
So let's go back to the text, 1 John 5, 11 through 12. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life, and the one who does not have the son of God does not have life. So let's walk through this. Who does God gift eternal life to? He says, uh, first off, he says, those uh, who are in the son. So this is point number three on your notes, if you're a note taker. This life is received in the son. Now, this eternal life is certainly a gift given by God to humanity through no earning of our own. However, God makes it clear through 1 John and a a bunch of other places that there is a way of receiving this gift. John says two things here that I want to slow down and look at. The first thing he says in verse 11, he says, uh, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. That phrase, in his son. This is in language which runs all through the New Testament in language, or what we call here at East, union language. This is union language. Paul uses it in his letters uh, from Romans all the way up through Philemon. It's running all through all those. John uh, uses it in his letters. We've already seen it in a couple places here in 1 John. But those guys are not using it because they came up with it. They're using it because Jesus first said it. Jesus first used union language himself. And guess which gospel author, I'm going to give you four guesses, guess which gospel author recorded a majority of Jesus' teaching points on union? John, thank you for guessing that first, Miss Diane. Yes, the, guy, like the same guy that wrote the letter that we're reading now is the same one that recorded most of Jesus' words about this teaching. And one of the final prayers that John records that Jesus prayed for us out loud, or that he prayed out loud, was a prayer for us, for all the believers who would believe in him through the word of his original disciples. And listen as I read for this, all the in and union language in this sucker, okay? Listen to this, verse 20. I pray not only for these, talking about his original disciples that were there with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. That sucker's loaded with in and union language. And it gets a little confusing. As, uh, as Miss Jean Brown said this morning in the first service, I need a flow chart. I, need, I, need to, I can't grasp the ins and the outs and the who's and the what, like all this. So just, just to walk through, this would probably be a whole other message. But the, he says, the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. There's a mutual oneness. And then he wishes, John or Jesus says, that we would both that we would be in both of them. We would be one with both of them and together. And he wants us to be one together with one another as he and the Father are one. And then he says that the Son is in us and the Father is in the Son so we can be one. Now again, flowchart would help there. I don't have a visual. Here's what you need to grasp. 
This is how Jesus teaches. It's how he prays in church. It's what he believes. There's good truth here. I'm not going to dissect it all, but the point is this. When we become followers of Jesus through God's work of salvation in our lives, we are brought into a union, church, that is already in existence. Okay? We're invited in. We're brought into a union that is already in existence, an eternal union that has been in place from the very beginning. The Father and the Son are already one. They are in each other. They are completely unified. They are one. And those of us who trust in Jesus Christ throughout human history have been brought into that union through salvation. So John says that eternal life has been given to those who are in union with God through Christ. But how do we get there? Like, how do we, how do we get it? How do we get into that relationship? Go back to First John. Remember, I said that John was saying two things about receiving this gift in the Son. So it was, it was, you have to uh, uh, be in the Son, right? But then he says this in verse twelve: the one who has the Son, not in the Son, but who has the Son. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what does it mean to have the Son? Let's keep reading. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, go all English teacher for just a moment. When you start looking at what's going on, if we slow down and read the Bible, it becomes clear that verse 11 says that Eternal life is found in his son. But these two verses help us see that this eternal life is given to those who have the son. But then verse 13 helps us see what does it mean to have the son? It means to believe in his name. You see, this eternal life that is given from God is only given to those who by faith believe in the name of the son of God. Because to believe in him is to have him. To believe in him is to be in him. Faith in Jesus is what brings us into union with God through Christ. Now, we've already done this a little bit, but let's, let's kind of put all this stuff together and just get practical for just a minute. This eternal life that's being talked about here in First John is the answer to some of the deepest questions and concerns that all of humanity have. Every single human being who's ever been born has at their heart, is this all there is? Eternal life answers that. But it's shaded so much by sin and our desire for wrong things that most people don't often see it. Or they find some other answer that's wrong. But then John writes here in 1 John that God promises to give us this life. To give us the very thing that we want answers to. And here's what's so cool. John says we don't have to wonder, we don't have to live in fear, we don't have to earn this gift by our own doing. God makes it clear here and in plenty of other places that all, A-L-L, everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God will receive this gift of eternal life. This means that God doesn't hold out. God doesn't try to guilt you into doing more for him. He isn't taking this gift away because of a mistake you make. This life is a very real possibility for every single believer in Jesus. And this is, this is why John ends his discussion by saying in verse 13 that God wants you to know you have this life. That's point number four. God wants you to know you have this life. Uh, when I became a parent... Um, 
So when you're, when you're young and you're, you don't have any kids or, or even old and don't have any kids, I can remember watching you guys as parents and uh, y'all just stunk at it. Can I just be honest? Like every parent I looked at was like, oh, y'all are making all the wrong decisions. I would do things so much better. If God ever blesses us with kids, then I'll, I'll, holly, we'll kill it. Like I could have told you everything you were doing wrong as a parent. Um, and then I had my own kids, Clay, and I realized, oh, this is, wow, I get it now. Uh, and one of the things, man, I discovered from having kids, I discovered how quickly in an effort to get my children to obey me, how quickly I can try to shame my children into doing what I want them to do. I can use the actions of other children, more well-behaved kids. Why can't you be more like fill in the blank, right? I can use, I, I, I can, I can use, I can manipulate my children to get to get the behavior that I'm looking for. Y'all, can I say something to you? That's messed up, and it comes from the heart of a sinful man, only for a sinful man. And I'm going to tell you what, when you've got spring break and your kids have literally been off for six and a half school days and two whole weekends in that process, you get to a point where you just need a relief and you just need them to listen to something that you're saying because they're tired of being at the house. We're going to go on vacation next year, spring break. Kenny going and prepare to preach. We got to get out of the house. I don't know. It was just nuts this week. And like you get to, when you get in those moments, you get to a place of bad parenting and you're willing to do and say whatever you can say just to get them to listen to you. It's in those moments where we do things and we say things that we should never say to our children. Because when we use these techniques, it leaves my children wondering whether I love them. And the only way that they can be sure To know that I love them is to do what I say. You see this. If I shame them and I and I make them feel uh, really, really bad, I go over the top and to to manipulate them. What they're left with is Dad doesn't love me. So the only way I can be sure that he loves me is to to do what he's what what he wants me to do, and then maybe he'll be free to show his love to me. Do you see, man, how sinful this is? And I'm shocked at how easily it comes out of my mouth because I'm a sinner. But listen to me. That was parenting, whatever. Let's get off of that. God's not that way. You see, God is not a sinner. God's not a messed up man like me. He's a perfect and holy father. And this is not how he functions. When you begin to think that you have to earn God's love, let me tell you something. It's not coming from him. If you think for a moment that God's love for you is based on what you do and that God doesn't love you right now, but maybe if you did a little bit more for him, he would love you, that's not coming from God. You've got to figure out where that's coming from, but I can clue you in. It uh, starts with a D, rhymes with schmevel. <laughs> I don't know. It's the evil one. Yes, is where that's coming from. It's coming from the evil one. This is it. God doesn't want you to wonder about his love. He doesn't want you to live in uncertainty and fear. Listen, what 1 John just told us is that God wants you to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. Look at the text. 
I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you may wonder or think or hope with your fingers crossed and your eyes closed. Like, that you may know you have eternal life. Guys, if you are living in uncertainty about your salvation, that is not God's desire. It is not his will. It is not his plan. He wants you to know that you are in him. And today, dude, if you have any concerns about that, if you have concerns about whether you have eternal life or not, whether you are truly saved, first off, you need to talk to God. You need to call on the name of the Lord and just like say, God, I'm wrestling with this and I need clarity on this and I need you to help me. I know that you want me to know. So, God, show me this. But I also want to give you one more, I want, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody who's been down that road. I know some of y'all look at me and you're like, what are you, like 15? You don't know where I'm at. You don't know where I've been. 36, okay? But still, it doesn't matter. You may be twice my age. I've still been through what you've been through. I've still wrestled with the same things you wrestle with in regards to my faith. And God moved me from a place of fear and uncertainty to a place of confidence. It changed everything. What I want you to know is what God wants you to know. I want you to leave this place knowing where you stand. If you want to leave this place knowing you don't have eternal life, you have that freedom today. But I don't want, I want you to leave this place knowing you have eternal life. We want to give you that chance. We're going to sing one more song to give everyone a chance to just respond to God's word in whatever way you need to. Patrick's going to come up. Corey's probably going to make his way in in just a moment to play piano, but I want to make myself available to help you find this confidence. I'd love to talk with you and just give you some resources that have helped me a ton. I've given I've had conversations with dozens of people over 15 years of ministry and helped them find the same confidence that I want to help you find today. But listen, some of you may know, is like I've talked about what eternal life is. I've talked about how, where it comes from and how to receive it. You go, that ain't, I don't have that. I know that. And again, you have that freedom today to walk out of this place and not respond to that. But like if you want to, I can show you that too. I can actually show you how to receive this because the Bible's clear on it. After hearing about eternal life and how to receive it, if that's you, if you, if you, if you recognize that, I'd love to help you process that decision as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song. If you just want to respond, because as we talk about eternal life being a gift, man, I was drawn to worship God this week. If you want to do that, you can worship God through this song. You can also come up here and pray for yourself at the altar or pray right where you are for yourself or other people. But I'm going to be at the back over here on the side to the left, to your left side of the sound booth. If you need to come talk to me about something, uh, whether it's uh, just asking me to pray for, for confidence in your salvation, you want to help process that, or if you need to trust in Jesus today and receive the gift of eternal life, we want to help you process through all that, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer, and I'm going to quit talking, and I'm going to go back there, and we're going to stand and sing, okay? You respond however you need to. Father God, we thank you. God, that... Uh, uh, God, as I was hit with this morning, that God, uh, you saved a little seven-year-old boy. In 1994, and you gifted him eternal life. And he had no idea what that look of life was going to look like. He had no idea what how hard it was going to be to be a teenager and a college student and still show that eternal life to the world. And then he, then he got married and 
and he had kids and became a pastor. But God, all along the while, you kept showing him that that eternal life was something that was so important. And God, you kept growing him and you kept using the spirit that was residing in him to make sense of this eternal life. And God, he needs you to keep doing that. And God, I'm so thankful. In 1994, you stepped into my life and you gifted me something that I could have never earned. And God, how many ever years you give me on this life, on this earth, God, I pray that the eternal life that you've given me, God, is what shines for me. And God, that the interactions that I have with people, God, are, are kingdom-impacting moments. But God, Lindsay Lynn East doesn't just need a, a pastor full of the Spirit, God. We need a church that's full of the Spirit and living this life out. God help us. All of us, God, from me to every person who calls Lindsay Lane East home, God help us to live out this eternal life you've gifted us. God, I pray for anybody here that needs to process through anything, God, that you've placed on their heart today. God, I pray that they wouldn't be embarrassed. God, they wouldn't be, a, God, they wouldn't be shamed into not having that conversation with God. You would just free them to be honest and open today and help us all to process this. God, we love you and we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we can receive this eternal life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's sing and let's sing this song.